Frank, I just assumed you would call it like a C note or something like that because you're using every other piece of lingo is like my dad's lingo. I, I either go way too young or way too old and nothing in between. I don't know what my problem is, but maybe it's a good time to start this podcast. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly, maybe more often, podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 299, season 15, episode 22. It's the podcast for, oh yeah, Stag Bowl Day, December 17th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Sports.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I'm the Around the Nation columnist at D3Football.com. I'm Frank Rossi. I'll be doing a costume change at halftime for D3Football.com. Yeah, that is true, right? Uh, and we will have uh, Keith McMillan on our call of the Stag Bowl. Keith's flight to Canton on Thursday night lands a little bit too late for him to be included in this podcast. But, uh, you know, other than that, I think things are going pretty well here in Canton, Ohio. So far, so good, right? We had a successful media day yesterday. We got to check out the new venue for a stag bowl tom benson hall of fame stadium and i gotta say pretty impressive stuff in a stadium where we got lost in the bowels of the stadium for a minute the stadium has bowels guys that's what's going on here that's what this is you know feels a little feels a little bit different than uh you know salem or, or shenandoah are you telling me that this is not a high school stadium that's i heard this was a high school stadium High school stadiums, or I'm sorry, high school teams do play in this stadium, but this is definitely not a high school stadium. This is uh, pro quality for sure. If this is a high school stadium, it's a Texas Friday Night Lights high school stadium with all the fixings. And uh, with respect to the bowels, at least there's multiple bathrooms for our use uh, more so than normal. It's, you really were going full bowels <laughs> there. I was not expecting that. One thing I'll say, though, Best press box experience in all of our stag bolts. I mean, the, so it far. is so impressive up there in the view. It's going to be high for you guys, uh, so you may not be able to find me on the ground. So I, I decided to wear something special for you guys, just just in case you know you can't find me. Some kind of homing beacon that would be cool. Uh, something shiny. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Frank Rossi has been the sideline reporter for our uh, stag ball broadcast since is this like two thousand seven? Yeah. Yeah. So this would be your 14th stag bowl. I keep remembering it now that I have to remove a year yep. because we all removed a year last year. Now the stag bowl, number of stag bowls is no longer in sync with my birthday. I turned 48 on the day of, or 47 on the day of stag bowl 47. I turned 32 on the day of stag bowl 32. And uh, now no longer will that be in sync. I will, uh, I'll just have to find out some, figure out some other way to remember what number the damn stag bowl was. We're fortunate here, I think, though, because uh, there are a lot of sports cancellations and postponements going on around the country, and I think the next month is going to be fraught with that problem. And I'm just glad that we're going to be able to get this season completed in you know, without too much damage done to it along the way. And so let's be thankful and enjoy the game, no matter who wins or who you're rooting for. Let's just be thankful. I mean, I'm pretty good at that. I think that also... You know, these teams, thankful to be here. Now, both of these teams are returning to the Stag Bowl. Um, you know, uh, North Central is returning to Eastern Ohio for the second time in uh, five days. But both of these teams also very relaxed. 
and pretty jovial, and we heard it from both of the coaches in the media interviews on Wednesday. So you guys are back here at the Stag Bowl. Now, it's moved around. You guys are a relative constant compared to where we've played the game. What's it like coming so far to do this here in Canton, Ohio? Well, you, you know, we would prefer Texas. <laughs> obviously. You had a couple of them. That's great. And you got yeah. one more coming up soon, too. Yeah, but uh, obviously this is a very nice venue. And it's spectacular, just the, the size and scope and um, so we're very excited to be here. And, uh, you know, anytime you get the opportunity to go to the Stag Bowl, it doesn't matter where it's at. I have, think I have heard you say those words, Stag Bowl, so many times in that, in that particular way that you say them. I just had kind of little goosebumps heading back to Salem in my head a little bit. Maybe we don't know this answer yet, but who, uh, who is starting on the right side of your offensive line this week? <laughs> well, we'll have two guys out there, I promise that. It's good. And they'll be in legal formations are helpful. Yeah, they will be legal formations and they'll have ineligible numbers on that, I can tell you. <laughs> that was Coach Pete Fredenberg, first of Mary Harden Baylor, Coach Jeff Thorne of North Central. I mean, obviously, guys, teams that have been here at this level, if not in this stadium, if not in this venue, I actually want to still talk about the venue a little bit too. You know, just thankful that we arrive at a venue and they're able to have practices in the venue and the field is painted as appropriate. Hey, that's great. But who are the chefs? Somehow, basics that were lost over a couple of years uh, between Salem and here. Great. Googly moogly. 2018, I believe they were missing stencils for the end zones and had to get those rushed in at the last minute. And I know with 2019, uh, weather, and, weather and whatnot, didn't help uh, get the field painted in time for the game. It all got done. They put the final brush strokes on before kickoff. But, um, yeah, we showed up here for media day on Wednesday, and the field looked great. UMHB was out uh, having open practice when we pulled up. A um, little bit of rain, a little, little bit of that Ohio wintry, rain, windy situation going on. Maybe a little taste of what we're going to see tomorrow or today, actually. Um on Friday. We'll just say on Friday, right? On or, or at game time, right? Uh, one thing I think for those that were used to the Salem experience, this is a lot closer to the Salem experience in terms of how the staffing and the group around it works or has worked in the past. Clint Fetty, who's uh, somebody that we talked to in Shenandoah, is part of this Canton group that brought it up here and uh, very hands-on. The group here is hands-on, and we was, he was telling me uh, last night we were uh, doing our walkthrough that this is their last event of the year. Uh, they'll get some breaks, so they are seasoned veterans at putting on events like these, and you can tell it's a much more efficient. We've got this kind of feel going on here than we experience in Shenandoah, and look, Shenandoah went well in the end. I'm not trying to take away from them in that respect, but this is just feeling like, hey, turnkey operation, we're good to go here. Right, exactly. Um, Frank, for listeners out there, is going to be probably the only person who's ever going to name check the IT guy at a, uh, at a Division three venue, but super important because Frank does now like almost all the IT. And of course, you know, just a little bit of a reminder of what's coming up on Friday. We'll talk about it more in depth later, but of course we'll have 
two full hours of pregame coverage, including an hour and a half or so from the sidelines or from stadium level, or I don't even know where that ended up. Where does that end up so far? On the apron uh, right outside the end zone. So uh, we are on the other side of the fence, but uh, it's there's not much padding between the back of the end zone and the fence. Uh, you'll notice probably if you're watching on TV, and we're right underneath this, underneath this huge scoreboard uh, area, which is uh, pretty nice to say the least. Uh, th- this is just a very impressive venue for UMHB, you know, they play in a big stadium and their games kind of have a a big game feel all the time just by nature of the size of the stadium that they play in. And that's a group that's been at this position. uh, This is four times in five tournaments that they will have made it to the final game. North Central, you know, they were just out here in Ohio last week. Um, They, you know, won the championship in the last tournament. And, you know, as, as we saw on media day, Coach Thorne not really worried about the atmosphere in this game. Players seem very loose, as we'll hear. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we got two good teams, two confident teams ready to go. And I think they're all really excited about the venue that they're playing in. Uh, Later on in this podcast, you'll hear from uh, uh, players on each side of the ball for each team. We'll We'll talk with Kyle King. For Mary Harden Baylor, we will talk with Jacob Muller and Micah Hackett, who kind of share a linebacker position for Mary Harden Baylor. So we'll share an interview between those two as well. And then we'll talk uh, on the North Central side. We'll talk with Andrew Kaminsky, of course, the All-American wide receiver. And we'll talk with Jake Beasley about defending one of the taller uh, wide receivers, one of the most impressive offensive weapons in these Division Three playoffs uh, overall, and especially here in this championship game. Uh, also, you know, we have uh, longer interviews with Coach Fredenberg, Coach Thorne. You can hear those on our pregame show tonight. Uh, you'll hear from who, who else do we have in the pregame show as well? There's a bunch of other players, so many people at this media day, and frankly, just d3football.com and the Temple Telegram, where they're basically the only outlets there. Uh, let's see. Uh, we, we'll have a little bit more from Kyle King on the UMHB side. We'll have Jefferson Fritz as well. Uh, I, I guess he checks off the boxes for de- defense and special teams uh, at this point. Uh, on the North Central side, uh, Luke Lanen, I believe, uh, will have. Uh, and I believe Jake – or no, uh, Gilroy. Dan Gilroy. Thank the, you. Yeah. I, I, I was blanking for a second, Dan. I apologize. Dan Gilroy is uh, going to be on the defense, so we will have both sides of the ball from both teams as well there. And one little extra wrinkle uh, to talk about the looseness of uh, the players. We uh, allowed the players to uh, interview each other, or at least a couple from each team. And uh, i got to say – I'm a little bit scared slash excited to uh, play those interviews when we get to them. You'll definitely want to tune in for that. Just trust me on that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch those guys talk to each other. I had to get as far away as I could so that I could laugh openly out <laughs> loud at how, uh, how how funny it was and yet not get picked up by the mics. So. Yeah, I think I failed at that, but still, I, everybody around it was pretty enamored with how funny they were being. So good for them, and it's, it's a relief to see that this uh, time of year. Yeah, the, the the whole room kind of stopped when when those player vers uh, player on player interviews happened. Everybody wanted to sort of lean in and hear what was what was going on there, and that will be fun for all of our listeners and viewers uh, later tonight when we see those. So big questions on the North Central side, and we did not get answers on them on Wednesday, and I don't know that we got good answers from what we saw 
on Wednesday uh, in uh, in practices. So, you know, the big question first off is who is going to start on the right-hand side of the offensive line? We will talk with Coach Thorne on that on Friday night, but what I'm going to tell you right now is you're not going to get an answer. Um, he's keeping it close to the vest. And then what we saw from Luke Lane and the North Central quarterback on Friday, you know, Frank, I think probably – you should describe what you saw from him on Saturday in just reviewing that Mount Union game. When we were doing uh, that uh, in the huddle uh, watch party, as uh, Scott Donaldson had said uh, in that show uh, in watch it with this, uh, he looked different after the touchdown he dove for in the middle of the game. Uh, at first it looked to me like maybe he was concussed or something, the way he was kind of acting. And then you noticed he was sort of favoring his side. It wasn't that he was, uh, you know, no sign of a concussion or anything like that, but just he looked like he was in pain, favoring that side, wasn't uh, really involved in too many run plays after that, and also kind of was just doing a handoff and get away from the play type of situation, which he hadn't been doing earlier in the game. And then after the game, you saw him – hugging teammates only with, I believe, his left arm. And so it makes me wonder what the condition of his right shoulder or arm is. And look, there's a lot of things you can do coming into a game to try to get the player ready, especially a quarterback. But it's not going to be easy if he does have a mobility issue and a pain issue in a shoulder. So that is an open question. I know Coach Thorne has addressed it as say he's okay. But I and I'm not going to try to suggest Coach Thorne doesn't know what he's talking about because he does obviously. But we'll see in a game time situation what it's like. That's the real test. Yeah, and I think you know if I think part of the plan here for UMHB is to put some of the game on Luke Lennon and see you know if he can beat you with his arm and if his arm is you know they're going to do that whether he was healthy or not. That's going to be their sort of path to victory is to make Luke Lennon throw a lot of passes and you know if he's compromised and they're able to limit Greenfield enough to force Luke Landon to make plays on third down um, you know we're going to find that out pretty early on I think. When we were watching him in practice on Wednesday what I saw was that he was throwing slants he was throwing outs over the middle we didn't see him throw into the sidelines and I think only maybe one time did I see him throw the ball more than 15 yards. That might be to not aggravate something so that he continues healing. It doesn't mean that he has a complete mobility issue. It's just, hey, let's not risk it right now. Maybe slight tear in something or something along those It could be a variety of things. But, you know, when it comes to these Wednesday walkthroughs and whatnot, you know that people are watching. You're not going to throw out the trick plays to try out in front of everybody that might be watching. Sure. So I would say you don't necessarily learn too, too much from Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Beyond they weren't trying to just uncork it and test out that shoulder that day. Staying on the topic of North Central, let's first chat with Jake Beasley. Jake Beasley is presumably the guy who is going to draw the assignment of defending Brandon Jordan, the wide receiver for Mary Harden-Baylor. I assume you've seen film. My question is, are you seeing it like in your sleep or are you feel like you're prepared for it? No, I think we're prepared. prepared. You know, we've been working on this. We face big receivers. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big corner, so kind of got a right. good matchup for us when, when it comes to defending the big receivers. Yeah, like listed at 6'3", and as I was standing next to you, I think that seems pretty legit. You know, sometimes you say listed at 6'3", and it's really 6'1", <laughs> but uh, it seems it seems pretty uh, pretty on the nose. Like, how do you practice against something like that? Then do you, like, bring in someone from the basketball team? you ever do anything like that or anything crazy? 
No, we've got some big tight ends that we've been working on. It, and we uh, we got some individual drill, drills how to you know how to cover a big receiver. But we've we've faced guys similar in our our you know league that are big guys that just want to throw the fade. And I think that's something we gotta we'll have experience doing. Spencer Peterson, for example. Yeah, that, exactly. that's the, that's the only guy that comes to mind for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a kid from Milliken that's pretty big. He's not quite 6'6", six, six, but probably 6'4". A little irony when you think about it. The uniform number for Brandon Jordan is 21. Jake Beasley is also number 21. And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? And so uh, which number 21 is going to dominate there? Because I don't see a world in which Kyle King doesn't throw that ball toward Brandon Jordan's side eight to ten times in this game, if not more. And why not after that Wisconsin-Whitewater game? Absolutely. Brandon Jordan, 11 catches last week. So, you know, I think that Kyle King has sort of learned that you can throw the ball to Brandon Jordan in just about any situation. He, If he's on the field, he's open. Uh, you know, that's sort of how they've used him in the last two weeks. He's had season highs and catches in both uh, the game against Linfield and again in the game against Whitewater. So utilizing Brandon Jordan, utilizing that advantage is something that uh, UMHB is going to probably need to do and the challenge will be you know can Beasley and North Central be the team to figure out how to defend Brandon Jordan before the Wisconsin Whitewater game we had talked to Kyle King on in the huddle and he uh, raised the idea that when you throw to Jordan it's 80-20 those uh, types of fade routes and whatnot uh, that it's an 80-20 ball not a 50-50 ball in his mindset at worst 75-25 I think with the talent of a guy like Beasley you return to the 50-50 now the question is does the 50 turn into an incompletion or does it turn into an interception possibly and if you have turnovers in this game the advantage coming into this game for Mary Harden Baylor is turnovers uh, their turnover ratio is about 10 higher than North Central coming into this and you don't want to lose that type of advantage here you never want to learn lo- never want to lose the turnover battle he said but uh, at the same time uh, that's an important situation you just don't want to lose the scoring opportunity in the end zone and, you know, Beasley is an aggressive cornerback. He will go and try and get the ball. So I think you're, there's going to be a lot of high-risk, high-reward kinds of plays out of Beasley defending Brandon Jordan. Last time they were in the Stag Bowl, North Central threw to Andrew Kaminsky a bunch, shall we say. He had nine catches for 134 yards and a touchdown late in that 41-14 win against Whitewater back in the Stag Bowl 47. Obviously, things have changed for the North Central offense a little bit this year, and we talked to Andrew about that. I want to ask because, you know, obviously huge numbers and great rapport with Brock Rutter in the past, and obviously the offense was different in the past too. Like, do you, like the whole, and then you have that whole year and a half, right? Yep. So, like, do you get to spend a lot of that time, like, building, uh, you know, the chemistry that's needed between your quarterback and wide receiver with Luke, or how did that, how that work out all that time? Yeah, so that was actually a blessing in disguise. We had all that time off, so we were able to do a lot of one-on-one throwing sessions, especially when he was done playing baseball. That took up a little bit of his time, but he was out there for our spring ball practices, and we had to practice in the fall, which we should have been playing, so we just had all those practices, so it was actually a blessing in disguise to get him up to speed, getting to know our offense, because we returned everybody else everywhere, so it was just mainly getting him up to speed and understanding the offense. He's pretty good at baseball, and the baseball team's been pretty good at mm-hmm. North Central for a little while now. Do you guys like go out, all go out and support them? Oh, yeah, the whenever thing? the weather's nice and we're all on campus, we're <laughs> definitely there out there supporting them like they do for us. Whenever the weather's nice is the right time to go watch a baseball <laughs> yeah, game. No that's, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, right, the offense has been different this year. Your role has been a little bit different. It's yep. been, you know, 
Ethan Greenfield, especially the last you know three or four weeks, mm -hmm. just pounding it at people. Um, and you know, we we talked with Coach Thorne at the beginning of the week. He said, "Yeah, it's not a problem. You, you seem to be perfectly happy with it." And I wanted to hear your take on you know the fact that the role is a little different yeah. now. Oh, of course, I'm totally okay with it. Being Greenfield, being our go-to guy, I mean, the kid's a stud, like, and that you got to give credit to our offensive line allowing him to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's been different. Obviously, I'm a guy who wants the ball in his hands and wants to make plays for my team. But at the end of the day, a win's a win. I didn't come back for stats. I didn't come back for any of that. I came back to win another national championship, and now we put ourselves in that position to go take it again during that time that extra that extra year off um, you talked about building you know your rapport with your quarterback but also like what's it like with you and the other wide receivers especially the younger the younger guys right I mean a lot of these other guys you know they were names that we knew mm -hmm. like especially D'Angelo Hardy had a big yeah. 2019 kind of forgot that he was only a freshman at that point so yep. you know what was it like working with those younger guys it's awesome it, uh, D working with D'Angelo Hardy is like that's like my younger brother I mean he rooms with me on every away game we're we're texting back and forth every day and then but with Blake and KB all their veteran guys I mean we're probably I would say we're the closest group out of the whole team us receivers and then all of us want to work with our young guys get them up to speed because they know the position they're in that there's three graduating seniors and then four with Matt Metz so it's going to be next guy up we know Delo is going to be here but there's three other spots to fill and we got to get them ready for next year. Luke was telling us that that key third down play where you guys are kind of buried in your own end mm -hmm. and D'Angelo makes this amazing catch, yep. we just learned that that ball was intended for you. So tell us a little bit about that from your perspective. Yeah, so I saw, I saw the same thing. I saw D'Lo, I mean, he ran a slant concept. He was supposed to clear out the zone, and he got jammed up a little bit. But as I saw the balls in the air, I'm like, this trajectory is way too high for it to be the D'Lo. And doing what he does just goes up and makes a great play. And I'm like, well, here we go. Time to keep going. Kind of forget about it in the nine of the next play. But that was a pivotal point in the game. I mean, right, we've seen him catch the ball once, right? And the, uh, last week in the semifinals against Mount Union, North Central did just fine. Uh, but uh, it's just interesting to hear him talk about all the other things going around him and the program even when he's not getting the ball. It reminds me, uh, honestly, his role is kind of like T.J. Josie's role in 2017 for Mary Harden Baylor with a freshman quarterback in the field. Uh, he's there to catch balls and will do so, but at the same time, he's there to support the quarterback and make sure that the moment doesn't get to him. And we've seen that all through the season that Kaminsky has been such a leader, and Coach Thorne has said this multiple times about him, that he's just such a leader in building up not just Lanin, but even Hardy as well uh, throughout the season with what Hardy had to experience uh, earlier on. Uh, with the loss of his mom, and so this is a player that I, I keep saying I'm glad the Glarity voters made him into a finalist because he deserves it despite that number drop-off, and he's still an important factor in this game. You let him go if you're Mary Harden Baylor on Friday or on tonight, then guess what, folks? You're going to have some problems. You're going to lose a lot of yards to Andrew Kaminsky. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how – the Crusaders defend when they get, you know, if and when they get North Central into long third down, passing down situations, are they going to trust their uh, defensive backs and the athletes that they have there to single on Andrew Kaminsky and not get burned by D'Angelo Hardy? I, that receiving core that North Central has is pretty deep. And, you know, Andrew Kaminsky is fine taking the double team and letting – Hardy go one on one with somebody, and that's that's that doesn't work out well for people either. Pick your poison hour, really, when you think about it.
We're joined by linebackers for Mary Harden Baylor, Jacob Muller, Micah Hackett. Appreciate you guys joining us. And I wanted to talk, especially to defensive guys this week, about the challenge of facing one of the one of the really potent running games in Division Three today. Um, and just ask you guys both for your take on what you've seen on tape for uh, number eight, Ethan Greenfield, for North Central. Maybe we'll start with Jacob. Yeah, he's a he's a good running back. He's different than what we played against last week, just because he's more. He's we think he's more hard nosed. He's really going to try to run through you. Whereas um, last week he was more trying to juke you out, kind of try to hit the cutbacks. But this week it's not going to be like that. You're going to have to stick your nose in there, maybe do a little bit more neck exercises because he's going to try to run you over. <laughs> but uh, we're excited. We like we you know we like different running backs. So uh, if it was all the same, then it wouldn't be football. So a different challenge for a different week. But he's a good running back. We're excited for the challenge. Mike, your take? Yeah, I mean he pretty much said it. You know uh, he runs downhill. He's not go- he's not one to avoid contact. He's he's gonna try to run you over. So, you know we like that. The other guy, Terrence Hill, 42. Is he more like Pete in terms of like style of runner? Oh, he is. They they both run pretty hard. So, I think they're pretty balanced. So, if I understand correctly, if I remember correctly, you're coming back from injury. Not coming back. You are back, but you missed some time, right? And and I think uh, Coach Fred was telling us that I think maybe you were playing the Sam before, now playing uh, a little more of the Will. Tell us a little bit about. You know what kind of adjustment that is, that sort of thing, playing on the other side. You know, it's just uh, more runs responsibility, really. So, you know, you just fitting guards and being more physical, which I don't think we had a problem with, problem with yet. So, yeah, is this guy coming for your job? Is he guys taking snaps from each other? Do you guys ever play on the field at the same time? How's that work? Yeah, so we rotate, um, just kind of give each other a break. I think when it comes to um, rotations well, I mean we're both um, top tier linebackers I mean he was an all-american last at last um, semester during the spring season um, I'm, I think we're just as good so no matter who's on the field um, there's gonna be a good linebacker on the field what was what was the spring like for you guys and you know did that do you feel more prepared for the fall because of it either of you guys I'll start with you yeah for sure I think the spring just kind of give us those extra games. You know, we're always happy to play more football whenever you get the opportunity because eventually football is going to end. So uh, a big thing for the spring was getting those freshmen the playing time that they kind of needed because they didn't get any in 20, 2020. So people like Tristan Green, a bunch of our D tackles uh, are actually uh, freshmen, and they got to gain that football experience, and they ten times better than they would have been if they didn't. Yeah, the spring definitely gave us confidence. I feel like our team is, like he said, ten times better than what we were. I think just playing together uh, helped us build a bond. I, I think this is probably one of the greatest bonds we've ever had on a UMHB team. So I think that that's the biggest th- takeaway we got from it. And we got to win more ball games, so <laughs> can't be mad at that. Yeah, and you guys are young, right? 20 games in a year is no problem, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That was like, I remember at the beginning, like in February, everybody was talking about want to play 20 games in 21, and I didn't know how realistic that was because you never knew what the spring was going to be like, but here you guys are you guys are going to do it this Friday night. Yeah, that's actually always been our goal. You know, we've all, we broke it out to 20 and 21, so time to go make it happen. Yeah, so those guys, Jacob Muller and uh, Micah Hackett, they're going to be key to being, you know, stopping that North Central run. Those are going to be the guys that are going to have to try and wrap their arms around Ethan Greenfield and get him down to the ground, which it was, uh, it's been challenging over the last couple of weeks for anybody who's tried. 
I don't think it's just that. I think that they're going to put some pressure on Lane in, in, in a way that maybe Luke is not used to. And those guys can get to him, I think, ultimately. When you have the defensive line versus the offensive line uh, on that measure, uh, you know, UMHB's defensive line can break through and a lot of linebackers through. And I think you're going to see a sack or two of Lanin in this game, to be honest with you. This is, this is the level of football. This is the time of year where the teams that seem untouchable in the backfield finally learn that they are touchable. And these are two guys that can get back there, I believe, with the help they have up front. I mean, that's true. But we have also seen, I think, time and again at this level that the teams that can succeed with their front four or front three or whatever uh, and leave as many guys in coverage as possible, those are the teams that win. I know that was always considered the formula that it would take to beat Mount Union is you had to be able to bring pressure with just the front four. And I do think some of this game is going to rely on how well Luke Lennon in, in, in his first year as a quarterback handles the RPO stuff against the speed of UMHB because I think, Frank, you're right. They're going to come up field and try to get him, and it's going to be uh, a lot of success I think North Central can have is with the uh, RPO stuff or the zone read kinds of things that they do with Greenfield. They keep it or hand it off, you know. Well, the thing that everybody talks about with Mary Harden-Baylor is speed, speed, speed. I think you would be impressed with my speed. And so that means the decision-making for the RPO is going to be have, to have to be the fastest you've seen this season from Luke Lane. And again, the youth maybe makes it a little tougher to believe that he's going to be able to accomplish it. But anybody that tries to doubt Luke Lane's ability so far this season looks like a fool. So I'm, I'm done looking like a fool for a little while. I'm not going to doubt his ability. Mount Union certainly, one would think, has speed up front on defense as well, and Lanin certainly saw that last week. Talking about quarterbacks, though, let's talk about the kind of change in Mary Harden-Baylor's offensive philosophy over the past couple weeks. Is it a change? Is it not? Here's Kyle King, the UMHB quarterback, to talk about that. And we still do run the ball. I think we rushed for over 3,000 yards this year. Um, last two games, you know, we've taken advantage of, of matchups we've had, and you know, I don't think that's us getting away really from the run game. I think it's just us taking advantage of what the defense gives us. Yeah, I think Coach Fred talked with us about that at the beginning of the week, right? It's, and I, I've always wondered about that is like how much of it is you're seeing something that you see on film and you really want to, you know, pick out or pick on or whatever, or is it like, you know, I know Linfield especially uh, is a team that prides itself on taking the run away, and I was kind of wondering which kind of balance that's like. Yeah, it's just what, whatever can win you that game, because in the playoffs it's win a game or go home. So, you know, if you have to throw the ball 100 times, you do it. If you have to run the ball 25, 30 times, you do it. Um, just whatever you got to do. And, you know, we, we call a lot of runs, and, you know, I'll get out of them sometimes if I think another play will work better. Um, have that freedom. Coach Lee does a great job with coaching us up on that. Now, I'm not saying I don't get crazy with it. You know, he calls the plays, obviously. So sure. we run the plays he calls. But as a whole, we're pretty, you know, we just try to win the game, and whether it be running or passing. Like how many times do you think you audible or change out of something in a game generally? Uh, I mean, I don't know an exact number. It's not a crazy number or anything. Maybe I have five or six of them I can play with, depending on if they're successful or not, you know. If they don't work, I get yelled at, so I don't do them as much. as. And if they work, I keep doing it. I just love when a quarterback is honest, I guess, about how much leeway they have to change plays at the line of scrimmage and, you know, to see that, uh, you know, if it's successful, obviously, maybe you get to keep doing it. And when it's not, maybe you don't. Right. There's that. His honesty, his poise, his posture. And he's just this is the thing I've learned after going to the Harden Simmons game early in the season that they had to have that big comeback in and then watching him when he's come back from his health issues in the playoffs, the, the maturity 
and leadership role of Kyle King. A lot of people didn't see that necessarily in him uh, coming into the season, and it's grown. He's gained the confidence. That two-way player from uh, Texas high school uh, always felt like uh, nobody gave him the credit he deserved, and he's out there week after week proving them wrong. Uh, much like what I was saying about Luke Lane and you know, betting against this player is a foolish move. I just want to clarify 2A player because it really sounds like you say two-way player, but 2A is one of the lowest classifications in Texas high school. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, just a couple of weeks ago, after Ryan Redding has a phenomenal game against Birmingham Southern in the second round, we're sitting here talking about whether or not there's a quarterback controversy or there are decisions to be made about who's starting. And then the next week, Kyle King starts. He throws six touchdowns against Linfield in the last two weeks. He's had two of the best games at quarterback of anybody in the tournament so um, no no quarterback controversy and you know Kyle King does not lack for um, confidence in his ability and in his teammates when Mary Harden Baylor has won stag bowls they've come in with one quarterback when they've lost stag bowls they've come in with two and that goes all the way back to uh, 2004 when they had uh, you know basically had played two quarterbacks all season coming into that game against Linfield and they almost beat Linfield anyway. P.J. Williams, big run back late in that game, made it interesting, and then there was a sack at the end of the game to uh, end that off. But I, I'm guessing I cut you off, Frank, from saying something completely different. Uh, no, I mean, that's great. Uh, the one thing I will say to warn uh, the rest of the country right now is that— He's warning the country. Look out. Kyle King has stated uh, to us he is coming back next year. He has a year of eligibility left, and undoubtedly he is coming back. So— he, he's got the confidence to say, I want to do this again, and good for him. And he feels like, though, that this is going to be a statement coming up for sure. That's uh, talking to him behind the scenes a little bit. You can tell he's ready for this moment. That Both these quarterbacks coming into the season, I don't think anybody would have said this would have happened, that they would be in this position necessarily. And look at them now. They've both sort of proven their naysayers wrong and got to be proud of both of them for what they've accomplished here. It's time for On the Spot. Oh, boy. Are we just putting Frank on the spot? Is that how this is going to go? I, I had envisioned that we would be able to put Keith on the spot for the first time in a little while. but I also thought that we were going to have Keith here to put on the spot, but Keith in transit as we record Podcast 299. So Frank Rossi will be on the spot. Pat, you can be on the spot, too. That's, That's fine. fine. I'll take that. Uh, we're going to do some uh, Stag Bowl over and unders. And feel free to uh, elaborate if you want. I'm going to start with a couple of uh, Mary Harden Baylor over and unders. Catches for for Brandon Jordan, 7.5. Under. Uh, Catches at 7.5. I'm going to go... Wow. How long does this music bed behind me go? Over, I think, just to provide, if nothing else some extra clarity just a a, a contrary opinion how about that (laughs) you know we'll get uh do you have a question about how many times he'll be targeted is that in your list also no all right uh i think he'll be targeted more than that uh will he make that many catches maybe some of that is up to jake beasley 
I, let, let me just add, I, my, my thought here is this, that when you have that high-profile game like he did last weekend, the secret's out. They're going to try to uh, defend him to the utmost, and UMHB is aware of that. So this is where you try to get K.J. Miller more involved. Aaron Sims, who we saw pop up uh, with a catch last weekend, maybe he gets involved more. They do have other receivers besides Brandon Jordan out there, so I think the number's probably going to be closer to five or six, but they could be five or six huge catches for points that, you know, don't don't underestimate where those catches come from. Second and final uh, on the spot for UMHB, non-Kyle King pass attempts, 0.5. Over. They're, they're going to have at least one razzle-dazzle moment. Over, absolutely. I, if not a designed one, if not with somebody else under center, I mean, I could see Fritz throwing one, too, when he sees something. Right? I mean, the punters, if my understanding is the punters still have that leeway at Mary Harden Baylor. I, I, you would have to think at least Jefferson Fritz does for the number of years he's been there, the confidence they have in him to make a good decision. The 27th year senior. Wow. <laughs> What's the next one? Um, <laughs> How many shoes is he going to wear? 1.5. Yeah, that's good. Good. You know what? I, I have noticed he takes his gloves off uh, on the field to play punts. Yeah. Yep. Okay, anyway. For my own accountability, I'm, I am going to go uh, under on Brandon Jordan receptions and I'm also going over on the non-King receptions. On the other side of the ball, we have Ethan Greenfield carries 27.5. Over. I think they need it to be over, to be honest with you. Um, you know, and I think that he, I believe that Jeff Thorne thinks that he is the guy, type of guy who gets better as the game goes on. And you probably want to have him have those carries from 25 to 32 or so might be some of his best and probably his most important carries in the game. I'm thinking that you're going to have about 82, 83 plays if you're North Central. So basically one-third of your uh, carries uh, or one-third of your plays are carries by him. I'd say just barely over, yes. I don't think they're going to play 82 snaps. I don't know about that. Don't they want to shorten the game That's and keep the other team off the field? Well, there's only so much you can do about it, though, still in college when you both have a possible throwing game of some sort. Well, I'm trying to stall so I can pull up uh, the Mount Union game, right? So – that they had 62 offensive plays against Mount Union. And they held Mount Union to 50, which I think is exactly what they wanted to do. I think 82 offensive snaps is a lot. I also think that TV timeouts make you uh, come up with some interesting plays that you might not otherwise do with those extended breaks. There's more of them in this go-around than there were in the semifinals. So I, I think this game slows down unnaturally, and then you end up with some more pass plays than you expect, and more incompletions for that matter. Okay, uh, Luke Lennon pass attempts sixteen point five, way under. I think I said this on the on the uh, in the huddle Twitch stream watch party was that if he throws if he threw fifteen times against Mount Union that something was wrong and I just suspect that um, I don't think he's a hundred percent and I really think that that's that's way under. I'll take under also, but I think it might be right at the fourteen fifteen mark to be honest with you this go around because I think he does need to. Here, here it is. Uh, to open up your run game, you need the pass game, which is counter to what we always say. But in a case like North Central, I think that is really true here because if you don't have the other dimension, Mary Harden Baylor does have the size and speed to stop your run. Yes, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say under as well. But I, I, I put that in there so that we could address, you know, the idea if North Central is forced to have Luke Landon throw 17, 18, 20 passes, things are not going according 
to plan for them. I don't think they want to be in a position where they have to force the ball downfield from Luke Landon's arm. And then last one, uh, North Central time of possession, 32 minutes, 30 seconds. Push. Yeah, so 3230 exactly? It could be right on 3230. I, I I really think it's a really good number. How about can we give let's say a half minute pad either way? So a push would be, at least you get something on a push here. If you why really do you give me why don't you give me 15 seconds either way? A minute either way is a long span of time. I think the big part of the bell curve is between 32 and 33. So you're going push still? I would go push if you gave me uh, 3215 to 3245. I'll take that. <laughs> I'm going to go over because I just the way you're going to see more rushes I think on their side than you will from UMHB and the way the clock operates in college is just the name of the game that it's going to be more running than not for uh, NCC's uh, side than it is for UMHB's. I also think over I think if it's close to 50-50 I think that's bad news for North Central. I think that they I guess what I'm saying with North Central is I think they have to be able to run the way that they have all season, and nobody has been able to really stop them. Um, if they control the ball and control the clock and keep Kyle King and Brandon Jordan on the sideline, that is their best and easiest path to win. And if UMHB gets a lead and they're able to use their run game with Afonso Thomas and you know hold on to the ball for a while, um, less, ch- less chances for Ethan Greenfield, less chances for Kaminsky, less chances for Terrence Hill, um, that's good news. For UMHB, so I think over as well for North Central. But if it's close to that thirty-two thirty, um, that's probably a pretty good day for the Crusaders. So where, where's like the national anthem under over and things like that? I mean, come on, man. I was going to ask about attendance too. I, I yeah. have no idea really what sales are, but the seat, the stadium seats twenty-three thousand, and I was going to say under. <laughs> Thank you. But what if I set the line at forty-two hundred under? Not, not even hesitating under. Yeah, probably probably under 4,200. I would love to be surprised with more sort of local, regional turnout for the event. The one nice thing is they have a club section, box section there in the mezzanine area of the uh, facility. And that was sold out. It, that is sold out, but that is not a huge section. I, I can't blame people for wanting to have that access, especially with the weather possibly being in the, let's say, mid to upper 30s at kickoff time. So you're going to want to be inside warm and getting a libation perhaps. But the idea here is that uh, that might be 1,000 or 1,500 people that right there. What about the rest of the stadium? I say are libations available to me because that's, that's what I'm interested in. Uh, only after the game and after podcast number 300. <laughs> so that on Friday we will get, of course, you're listening to this podcast. Maybe you're listening to it on Friday. That's a thing that's happening on Friday. You will get our quick hits, our predictions from 10 supersized people. Well, 10 people, a supersized amount uh, for our uh, predictions for Stag Bowl. 48. I will say this, somehow our collective opinions are usually pretty spot on going all the way back to 1999 when we semi-overwhelmingly picked the surprise upset of Pacific Lutheran beating Rowan all the way back in Stag Bowl 27. Uh, We've been pretty good on that ever since. Uh, Who are some of the guests that we have uh, besides our regular six? Uh, Let's see, we have from North Central, we have uh, Grant Sabo, who does their uh, color analyst for 
NCC TV for their home broadcasts. He does a great job. And uh, Carlos Barba, who is a former North Central Center, uh, I believe. Uh, I believe he graduated in 1990. Um, wow, those are our two. That's a long time ago. Yeah, so he's been following the program for for quite some time. Pre Thorn, uh, pre both Thorns. Yeah. Uh, on the Mary Harden Baylor side, we have Riley Zayas, who's done a lot of uh, contribution to the site, and he runs TrueToTheCrew.com. And we have Corbin Campitelli. Also joining us. I remember that name. Uh, former. Uh, are you a former Division Three football.com All-American, or are you always a, a D3Football.com All-American? We have yet to revoke anybody's All-American status, so he is a, forever a D3Football.com All-American. That's something that has always gotten me, the former All-American thing. No, you, it, you're still it. But, no, he was uh, an All-American at D3Football.com, playing on the offensive line for Mary Harden-Baylor. A 2017 All-American second-teamer at tackle. So you can see that. Uh, Frank talked about uh, some of the people who are going to be guests on our pregame show. Also, we will be announcing exclusively for the first time the 2021D3Football.com All-America team. You can tune into that in these two hours between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern time Friday night. And in the second half hour of our broadcast. I'm going to leave you guys to do some math and figure out which one is the second half hour. You'll want to tune in to find out who wins the Gallardi Trophy. 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It was my understanding that there would be no math. <laughs> I, I have a the drop for that. You don't have to say it out loud. Well, you could just replace my voice with that. How's that? <laughs> no math. Writing that down. <laughs> After the, uh, uh, We will have a uh, live audio broadcast of the game. Obviously, ESPN holds the rights to live video, but we'll be doing live audio for the 23rd, 22nd time. I keep forgetting about that, uh, that 2020 that didn't happen. We had an All-America team, but we did not have a stag ball. So Keith McMillan and I, with Frank on the field, will be doing that once again. We've dragged Keith back in for this one day only. That's not really true. You can probably see him on Twitter at, at D3Keith. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Frank is at Frank Rossi. You can reach us to, to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I am at D3Football. And, of course, yes, this was Around the Nation podcast number 299, released on December 17th of 2021. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for all of that coverage we just talked about because this season is not over. And even after this, it's not over. You'll look for our final top 25 that really needs to be out on Saturday. Everybody who's a voter who's listening, it needs to be out on Saturday. Um, and then we'll, of course, be following the coaching carousel and all the other things that are going on as well. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com D3Sports. But if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alumnus, tell all the people at your tailgate tonight. I assume there's tailgating. I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to that. I don't even know what the parking lot looks like because I walked in the wrong part of the stadium. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh and Frank Rossi for this edition. Our theme music, as always, is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks, and you can find those at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to all the guests who we've already talked to, Pete Fredenberg, Jeff Thorne, Kyle King, Micah Hackett, and Jacob Muller, Jake Beasley, 
Andrew Kaminsky, and then all the people who we're going to talk to later. Thanks to the folks here at Canton for all of their help. Thanks to the folks in the Ohio Athletic Conference office, Sarah Oti, the commissioner, Lindsay Rickle, the conference assistant commissioner and information director. Lots of help from a lot of people to help all of this happen. Thanks to Keith McMillan, the originator of the Around the Nation podcast, who will land in a little over an hour at Canton Akron Airport. And thanks to co-hosts Greg Thomas and guest host Frank Rossi. Minute 55 under or over. Oh, for the anthem? Yep. Uh, slightly over. I believe they have windowed out four minutes for that in the in the pregame rundown. Oh, I had the pregame rundown here somewhere. Let me go back to that. Well, De- Demi Lovato was a minute 50 for the Super Bowl in 2019. Gladys Knight, 202. Pink, a minute 53. Luke Bryan, 204. So, so you picked w- 155, which is longer than all that. Uh, it's actually right in the middle of it. But that's the Super Bowl. So you're saying under? I'm under a minute 55 in the national anthem every day and twice on Fridays. Well, it's Friday. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time. <laughs>